Omari, and this is Day 127, where I discuss life in a post-COVID world. A lot, of, a lot has happened since the last episode. In about two years, um, we've been through a lot with COVID. A lot of people died, um, over a million in this country. And depending on how you define normal, in 2022, in November right now, I'd say things are mostly back to normal, depending on how you define normal. So um, Biden is president. Uh, We're going outside again. People are not wearing masks anymore. And uh, we're at war. Uh, Ukraine is at war with Russia. During COVID, we've seen um, a lot of people uh, just shoot to the moon in terms of uh, success. One example being Kanye West, who became a billionaire during COVID and is now no longer a billionaire. Um, You saw Elizabeth Holmes with Toronto's at the beginning of COVID, uh, her fraud was just being discovered and it was going through litigation and she was officially charged or sentenced to prison this week uh, for 11.25 years and there's a new whiz kid fraud uh, which is Sam Bankman Friedman of, XT- of FTX who um, is now being accused of running a similar type fraud or Ponzi scheme um, and that's playing out right now in front of us and I think we're also seeing the effects of policies that our government instituted during COVID um, that was initially really meant to help keep us out of a recession actually causing a more severe recession now I think than would have been had they not acted as aggressively so right now inflation is I think high 7% uh, month over month and you know because of that we're seeing the federal Federal Reserve trying to fight that by raising interest rates. In doing so, uh, obviously, um, the cost of mortgages skyrocketed. So now a mortgage might cost you 6%, whereas during COVID it was at 2%. Um, People are getting laid off from jobs in the tech space. And, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of people really save more money and invest a lot less uh so for some companies that might look like a hiring freeze and for other companies it's just a mass layoff altogether so i think right now we're in a really weird position where i think everyone's kind of watching to see how it plays out um because it's not only affecting the united states it's really a global issue like central banks across the world are all fighting um inflation because it's so high and you know, most parts of the world, I'd say inflation today is the highest it's probably been on record or, you know, probably the last four decades. So, you know, I think we're all getting used to our new normal. Um, but it really makes me wonder a lot about, you know, why do we even have the system that we do have? Like, what's the point of it, right? So if our Federal Reserve reduces rates and prints money only to decrease the money supply and raise rates again and then when unemployment goes back up they're going to reduce rates again and print money again like what's the point of that cycle it just seems unsustain uh, unsustainable to me 
where we're raising rates to reduce them, to raise them again, to reduce them again. Um, it just seems a little silly and counterintuitive, um, if you ask me. And I think for people, I think for the most part, it just really appears that people are pawns in all of this. You know, when I was in school and I took economics classes, you know, we learned the difference between market economies and fixed economies. And for the most part, the United States is really seen as the world's largest market economy, most successful market economy. And we really learned how market economies uh, typically um, are related to democracy, right? Like how most of the time, democracy and market economies go hand in hand, right? Like free markets. Um, but I think this experience with COVID really made me stop to think to myself, do we really live in a true market economy? Because it, it really seems fixed. If our central bank can decide, okay, we're gonna reduce rates, we're gonna reduce capital reserve requirements, and we're going to buy hundreds of billions of dollars in bonds, which is basically printing money. If they can do that and inflate asset values, reduce the cost of borrowing, which is really kind of a bailout in its own way, right? If, if the cost of capital goes down significantly, that's that's a bailout. That's a that's a discount. That's it's just giving somebody money basically. And it's really coming from the taxpayer. Right? So my thing is if we're in an economy that's so dependent on what the interest rate from the central bank is, how is it not a fixed economy? If if they decide that, okay, we're raising rates again and we all lose our jobs that sounds a lot like a fixed economy where the government decides when we're in a boom cycle and when we're in a, a bust cycle and the people that really get hurt on both sides are the working class the people that don't have the ability to you know raise their prices so if our government is printing money if you own a building and somebody wants to buy it from you you can say, I want more money for the building now. Like you can say that based on market conditions, I want more money. Your landlord can also raise your rent based on market conditions. Um, does Subway, if they wanna raise the price on their sandwiches because their expenses are going up for whatever reason, they can do that in real time. As an employee, you can't go to your boss and tell him, hey, the cost of my lunch went up 20%, or my rent is going up 15%, so I wanna raise equivalent to that. For the most part, you'd be laughed at. And the way we tell workers is that they should only try to get a raise once a year around performance evaluations time, but is that really fair? When we live in a market where everyone else can change their prices whenever they want. But as a worker, it's seen as unprofessional or it's not seen as a best practice to really expect to get raises based on the cost of living. Um, and this goes so much deeper, uh, even when you think about workers that have to go to the office and they live an hour away from the office, 
you know, for a business, business owners can deduct all their expenses tied to, you know, the pursuit of profit. As a worker, you can't deduct your costs for your haircuts, driving to the office, your car payment, um, you know, nothing is seen as deductible. Almost all your income is considered income. Um, or all your revenue is considered income with no thought to how much of that really goes back into you being able to work. Um, so I just think a lot of ways the system's really rigged against the working class people and really uh, made for companies and you know um, just wealthy individuals to really you know get all the benefits of our tax code and also so like when you think about when rates go down to zero the average person doesn't really benefit from that no more than maybe you know they'll get hired for a job that pays very little um, but the wealthy they own almost all major asset classes. So whether you're talking about real estate, stocks and bonds, um, and things like that, when our government prints money, the value of all these asset classes increase significantly. So if you think about the S&P 500 during COVID, it doubled. Um, when COVID lockdowns first began, the S&P was about maybe what 300 around there and it went down to 200 and uh, I think two two thousand right and then you saw it double to 4800 in about a year year and a half if you don't have any investments in the market you didn't benefit from that you didn't double your money in two years right but if you have significant holdings in stocks or whatever you doubled your money and you had the ability to sell at the top, which a lot of them did, including our own Federal Reserve governors who sold at the absolute peak um, and claimed that it's because of ethical reasons, right? That they, they need to be out of the market because it's not ethical for them to be you know, in the market. Those guys sold and retired at the very top. And then right after they sold, rates started going up and our markets, uh, you know, almost all the tech companies lost, you know, 10, 20, 40, 50% of value. And, you know, people that cashed out at the top, they cashed out. So now, you know, they, they're sitting on cash and they have the ability to buy back in at a lower cost if they care to, or just keep holding cash. So like when asset values are increasing because of feds reducing rates, that's benefiting the rich for the most part like their asset values are going up whether it be their bonds going up in value as yields go down or their stock prices going up and it's just because there's literally more money in circulation it's more money chasing the same amount of goods and services and when they pull money out of the system who gets affected the most uh, workers Right, workers lose their jobs. Workers uh, have to pay more to get a mortgage. Uh, workers can't sell their house for what they bought it for. And when they're raising, when they're decreasing interest rates, and inflation is increasing because of the higher money supply, who's getting the downside of that? The working class, because for the wealthy, 
their assets are increasing along with inflation, right, in value. So um, if you get 10% inflation, but your assets double in value, you don't care that much. But if everything around you increase, uh, the price of everything around you increases 10% and your wages stay the same, you know, sucks for you. So I, I think in a lot of ways, COVID really made me realize now that I'm an adult, that our economy, I'd say it's more of a mixed economy than a market economy where our government still has significant control of uh, where we are in the business cycle. And I still don't understand fully why we have a system of raising rates to decrease rates to raise rates again. I think it's silly, but that's my opinion. Um, I think we've all grown a lot because I graduated high school in 2009. So during the financial crisis 2008 i saw it happening in real time but i didn't really understand what was going on because i wasn't impacted i owned nothing i had you know no assets i kept my job so for me life went on i didn't really see nobody i knew lost their job because of it or maybe they, they did lose their jobs but they, we didn't know why they lost their job but i think for most people that graduated after 2008 we're now seeing this is our first real economic downturn where we're being impacted by it i think for a lot of us we just thought things were going to keep getting better and better and better and better forever until now we're looking around and, and feeling like a lot of it was maybe an illusion for the past 12 years or 14 years since 2008 where you know markets kept on going up and up um you know we saw crypto going from 2000 or couple hundred dollars to sixty thousand dollars so you have a whole generation of people that just saw stocks crypto real estate go up and up everybody was a, a a guru everyone was a mentor everyone could teach you how to make a lot of money and it reminds me of a meme or a, a tweet i saw the other day and the tweet said when you realize that half your personality is based on low interest rates i think that rings true for a lot of millennials where you know we just thought we were the greatest investors greatest real estate flippers you know, greatest crypto investors whatever and now realizing that a lot of uh those gains really uh they weren't real uh they were almost a handout from the government and even the process in which government can um directly give money to rich people it's mind-blowing because there's no such mechanism for giving to poor people. So if the government wants to give money to rich people, they could just buy bonds. They could create money out of thin air, buy a bunch of bonds, and that increases our money supply. And that, that finds its way throughout the system to other asset classes, directly giving money to rich people on paper. And the reason why that mechanism works so well is that when they, they want to pull the money out of the system, it's relatively easy. Um, the assets that they bought, they sell them off. They take the money back and then that money no longer exists in circulation. Like that money just got sucked out the system and no longer exists. And the same is kind of true for interest rates. When you raise interest rates, you know, when the cost of something goes up, demand generally goes down. So um if mortgage costs more money demand for that mortgage is going to go down um 
and it's a very effective way of putting money in the system and taking money out but i still don't think it's done in a fair way to where it really impacts all classes of people the same um but i think i'm gonna start making more podcasts on this channel uh to keep up with this i think it's important for people to know what's going on in our financial system and how it impacts them and i'm seeing now a lot of people um struggle and they're struggling in silence and a lot of people think it's their fault like they did they did something wrong and a lot of times it's just numbers you know if if there's five slots or something and there's 20 people 15 people are going to lose it, it's just that simple and i think a lot of what happened during the last two years is just creating a bunch of losers and people are feeling as if if they did something different maybe the outcome would be different maybe but i'd argue probably not that much um because realistically it's just um it's a system and it's always done this i think now because we're more aware of what's happening with other people in general and also what's happening across the world i think it feels like it's happening it's more acute now but I believe this has always been happening. I, I think um, I think I'm glad that the technology exists now for us to have these conversations about what's going on in the world and how it's impacting us individually and as a collective. I have no idea why I keep on saying fixed economy uh, when it's really planned economy. It's market economy versus planned economy. But I, I really do think we live in a mixed economy and I think we need to be honest about uh, that with ourselves, right? We, like for a long time, I used to really, you know, think really differently about like China, right? Or countries like that. From what I've heard in school, it's just like, oh, they're communists and like, it's not real capitalism or, you know, like they really control their markets. And it just sounded like there's a lot of opportunity for corruption. But the older I get, I think the more I realize um, that our own system has a lot of parallels, you know, with countries like that. I think we give, um, we create fancy words to describe how we, you know, execute our version of that. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of it is very similar if you really look closely. Um, you know, like we think about words like quantitative easing, like what does that mean, you know, like or quantitative trimming. And it's just printing money or, you know, deleting money. But I think we, you, we hide behind um, these long, fancy economic terms to really speak in a code um, that really keeps regular people from really being aware of just exactly what's happening uh, to our economy. And if you've made it this far, I just want to thank you for listening to my podcast.